When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Coach Unplugged is brought to you by great people over at teachhoops.com. For coaches who want to get better. From the Fifth Quarter Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. Here is your host, Steve Collins. Hey everybody, welcome to Coach Unplugged. Happy Tuesday. Um, today, New Year's Eve, uh, today we're going to talk part one of two parts of the theme, <clears throat> a, a college coach who didn't play at the highest level but is at the highest level now. I think you're going to really enjoy it. It's a lot of, a lot of really golden, good golden nuggets in, this, in these two podcasts today and tomorrow. I figured this was a good spot. People might be uh, recovering on on Wednesday, and this would be a good thing to listen to. Um, but before we do that, what allows us to keep the lights on here at Teach at uh, Coach Unplugged is teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. Um, you know, I've experienced everything that you're experiencing as a coach, whether you're winning or losing, whether you're trying to figure out how to do that practice plan or how to do with parents. I've I've been there. I've dealt with it. Let me help you. Teachhoops.com is a great time to do that. Right now in the holidays, you get 14-day free trial. So go over and check it out. Also, make sure you go over and check out um, Dr. Dish, the number one shooting machine on the market. I, I love it. The best part is you can run it through your iPad, through your phone. They have the new ones that go outside. They have the, the home ones. They have the ones that have the screen. They have everything that you would need to become a better shooter and better scorer. So go over and check them out. And let's head off to part one of two parts of the podcast. All right, welcome to Co- Ooh, let me turn that down. Uh, welcome to Coach Unplugged, um, Coach. I'm going to have you introduce yourself, introduce yourself, and then kind of just the way I always do this is just kind of give a background of yourself, your coaching career, kind of your basketball journey, and then uh, we'll see what road we go down after that. Sounds good to me. Well, my name is Asim Rastogi, and I'm I'm very glad to be here tonight. Uh, my basketball journey has been one that's a little bit atypical as I never played at a high level. Okay. So high level. That even means freshman high school basketball. I went to a school where 60 guys came out for the, um, the freshman team. So I knew I wasn't going to be one of those top 12. Right. But anyway, uh, got cut as a freshman, got cut as a sophomore from the JV tryout. 
I, and I knew that basketball had my heart. I'd been playing since I was five years old and I wasn't ready for it to be over. So I had to find another way to be involved. So I turned to coaching and refing and started, I, I guess you could call it a coaching career at age four, uh, 15. Right. Um, and so that's 16 years later, here I am having just finished coaching, um, you know, four years as a varsity uh, girls basketball head coach, as a head coach. Um, and then uh, before that, at Virginia Commonwealth University as the director of player personnel. And then I was promoted subsequently to the director of operations mm -hmm. and interim assistant coach right. on the women's side. So that was in 2012, 2013. And, um, you know, this year, lucky enough to work for a phenomenal head coach in Carol Simon, who's going into her 33rd year as the head coach at Brandeis University. So um, I'm an assistant at Brandeis now, among other things. Um, and I also teach full time. And so that's sort of the quick and dirty um, basketball bio. So, so let's look, uh, there's a couple things I want to dive in on that. So uh, how, how was the officiating, first of all? Well, there's a reason I chose coaching. Uh, <laughs> you, get, you get yelled at a little bit less. No, I, I thought the officiating was actually great. I, I didn't do much in terms of high level. I was, I was really integrated into our local rec league when I was growing up in Northern Virginia and just kind of did a little bit of everything. And, right. you know, with the officiating, you just get to see another side of it. I mean, I would be coaching a game and then I'd literally go in the bathroom and throw on a ref shirt and, and ref the next two games, sometimes even in the same age group, just because we didn't have enough refs. And they trusted me not to, like, try to stack the standings against or, you know, for my own team. Right. Um, but it was, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting experience and it gives you a lot of respect for officials. And honestly, that's like, I think why my relationship when I was a head coach in, in Northern Virginia and just as a varsity head coach was so good with the officials because I knew what they were going through. Right. Um, you know, my team ended up winning the CBOA, the Cardinal Basketball Officials Association Sportsmanship Award, my final year at my first head coaching job uh, because our parents literally said nothing to the officials all year. Right. And for me, it was just a conversation, you know, constant conversation with them. Um, because I mean, they're people too. And that's right. something I learned being one. And I think every coach should have to be, you know, a college or a manager at some point, um, and be an official, both of which I was at various points in my life. So, so, okay. So then after high school, what happened? What was your next step? Your next yeah. was a grad, uh, basketball operations. Well, so after high school, I went to old Old Dominion University, okay. and I majored in sport management with a minor in marketing. Uh, my senior year, I was fortunate enough to help out the women's basketball team as a manager, doing a lot of their marketing, um, a lot of their youth outreach, some scouting, basically kind of a jack of all trades, but really working on the business side of it. Um, all of my experience in college parlayed into a full graduate assistantship to the University of Oklahoma, where I worked in the athletic department there. I was coaching uh, high school boys on the side. Uh, started out as a freshman assistant coach, became the freshman head coach my second year of grad school. Um, and then from there, I went out to, uh, went back to VCU to take the director of player personnel job. Okay. And then, so, so explain to people what the basketball operation job actually entails. The basketball operations job entails almost zero basketball. Um, you are, you know, in my personal experience, I was working pretty much eight in the morning to two in the morning every day, um, working on recruiting. So creating, learning Photoshop first, and then, uh, creating upwards of 
five to six mail outs for a week's worth of, of stuff. So if you can imagine in a month, that's 25 content creations, you know, full color, getting sent out, writing on them for each coach on our staff. Um, and that's just part of it. And then you've got the travel piece. So I was in charge of booking all of our buses on the road, um, all of our buses to take us to the airport. So if you think about it, just, just to move people takes an entire village. And so we were moving about 20 people at a time because we had seven people on our staff plus 13 players and an SID. So 20, 21, 25 people at a time. Um, And it's got to work lockstep. And that's what I think a lot of folks may not know is that you're on, you know, as a high, as a college basketball coach, time is everything. Um, And so my head coach was very, very stringent on like, if the bus is going to be there, the bus has to be there. Um, So I was in constant contact with, getting our buses there on time as soon as we landed they were already there lunch was already on the bus most trips after we landed on the plane um you know check into the hotel we're pre-ordering meals we're getting our post-game meal ready so it's pretty much the game is the you don't even get to rest during the game because your your mind is constantly going about what's next um, and so that's really the operation side of it and if you want to be really good at running a program being a director of ops and learning from a really good organized head coach is, I mean, that's everything. They just don't want to have to worry about any of that. They just want to coach the game. Yeah. Right. I mean, your job is to essentially make sure the head coach doesn't have to do anything besides focus on basketball. And that's a really difficult thing to do when the line is constantly moving because right. it's, and, and, dealing and, with people that, and things that are outside your control. Right. Like the bus doesn't show up. Right. Right. Or, or, you know, ordering food to the bus. If the, if we're getting delivery, which again, it's something that people really wouldn't think about. I didn't think about it until I was in the situation. We're playing at Manhattan and our head coach's salad didn't make it, you know? And so our assistant coach is stalling the head coach so the delivery driver can go back and get the salad. But what do you, I mean, that's just part of it. You know, it's things outside of your control, but you do the best you can with it. And it really, I mean, it gives you a great appreciation for the pressure that's on their shoulders. But then when you take that spot as a head coach, even at the high school level, I mean, I ran what I would think was a collegiate level program in terms of the organization because I had that experience. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and, and, and we've done that when we go on, we go on lots of road trips and it's like, it's precision, like, and, 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 and it does go wrong at times, but literally every minute of every day is kind of mapped out. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. I mean, our itineraries were like two and three pages long. I mean, we're oh, putting yeah. weather on there. We're telling kids what to pack for each day. I mean, it's like detail, detail, detail. And at the time, I'll be honest with you, Steve, I was terrible at my job. Right. You know, I like a lot of things you just don't know. And so, you know, you learn on the job and you make a lot of mistakes, but then when you get the opportunity to do it your way and do it the right way, you've made those mistakes already. So tell the difference between where you were with the operations and now being an assistant at Brandeis. Yeah. So it's a lot of the same stuff. Um, you know, obviously I didn't, we haven't had a full season together yet. I just started, um, here a couple months ago, but a lot of the same with, with the graphic design, with trying to upgrade what we're doing on social media. Coach Simon, again, I mean, phenomenal person to work for. She, she wants ideas and she wants to just kind of push the envelope. Um, right. You know, so I'm, I'm over here again, learning a new graphic design program, upgrading our social media, planning practices starting here in a couple weeks. 
um, you know, our, our team was fortunate enough to go on an 11 day trip to Portugal and Spain. So I moved up here July 27th. We had practice like the first week of August. Kids didn't know me from John. And I was out there coaching with our coaches, like having a say in what's going on in practice. So it's a little bit of everything. And, you know, the way it was explained to me during the interview process, which again was part of why I wanted to do it was an experience in doing everything. So, you know, we're sitting here in late September I'll be going on the road tomorrow, just down the road to watch an AAU tournament in the fall, you know, and and D3, we can watch pretty much anything. Yeah. Um, So it's recruiting, it's coaching on the floor, it's marketing, it's, it's operations, whatever they throw at me, I'm going to do it. And that's, that's the life of a D3 part-time. It is, it is. So, so, cause I'm going through, I was just, before we came on the air, I was talking about my son and how kind of I'm going through that process. Cause I've, I've had high major guys and D1 guys. So that's a little different. Um, um, so, uh, sorry. (laughs) Hey, nothing like this. My wife goes in and goes, you want some pizza for dinner tonight? It's like, yes, I want pizza for dinner tonight. (laughs) Please, please. Of course, of course. I do. Um, No, but walk through like kind of the self-recruiting, all that kind of stuff, how that may be a similar, different, um, because the the big boys have the budgets. They can fly to Texas. You can't do that. So is it, is it regional recruiting? Is it non-regional recruiting? Because my son is basically recruiting himself. Like, he's a thousand miles away from the school. They're not going to see him play. Sure. No, it's actually, it's really interesting that you asked that question because our league is a national league. Right. I think that's what makes us unique at Brandeis is that we play in the UAA. So we're not, we're the only team in the state of Massachusetts in our conference. Right. Two of them in New York. There's one in St. Louis, one in Chicago. It's Wash, it's Wash U's, it's Wash U's. Yeah. Right. Wash U. Okay. Wash U University of Chicago, Emory, uh, NYU, Rochester. I mean, they're all over the place. Right. So, we have they're really, academic. they're really bad academic schools. Let me tell you, they're horrible. Oh, like, you know yeah. what? We're the bottom <laughs> of the bottom. Steve. You know, just doesn't get much worse. Um, no. And, and so that's, that's the, the allure of playing in our conference, but it's also right. the challenge of recruiting in our conference because we have a D one travel schedule, but you know, we our our coaches this summer went to uh, Louisville and Chicago. So we're, right. we're recruiting on a national level, but we're not flying to Texas on the weekend to go watch some kid play. You know, right, so a right. lot of that is... Because you can't afford to do it. Right, right. Yeah. And, and also, like, if we're doing that, that money could be spent on something else that, you know, would subsidize our program in a different way, in a better way. Right. So, you know, for us, it is a lot of, hey, kid emails us. We've watched a kid play for a couple years at a nationalized tournament. Um, NCSA or some of the, the other recruiting services are really big where, you know, kids just send stuff out and we watch them play. And if they're good enough, we contact them. If they're not, we don't. Right. Um, you know, but it's, it's really our head coach and our associate head coach have done an amazing job of sort of getting that down to a science of the type of kid that we want. Because the other part is it's almost, you know, it's very, very difficult to get in. Um, so when we have a list of kids, everybody gets an early read on their academics. And so admissions will tell us, you know, can this kid get in? Do they need some help? Whatever it is. Um, and we sort of have to go through that process too. So, so, so what I think it is, so to be honest with you, if I was a college coach, I'd want to be in that kind of league. And the reason is, is you have a finite number of kids. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, you could be a mid-major 
on the guy's side and you're thinking, Oh God, if I can get one of these low high majors, I can, there's only, you have a finite pool of kids that can actually get into your school. Like, you know, and some of them are going to go to Harvard or Dartmouth or Yale or something. So you're not going to get them or they're going to go high major kind of thing. Right. So in a lot of, some of them will opt to go like the D2 route where they can get some scholarship money. You know, we can't give them scholarship money right. as a D3. Like, this is not something we can do. Um, but we also do get a lot of the kids who want to play basketball at a high level, but the D2 school doesn't have the academics that Brandeis does. And so the trade-off there is, well, I'll pay to go get a better education that's going to serve me better for 40 years than just this short-sighted decision to go play college basketball where I'm, I'm going to play regionally. I'm not going to play a national schedule. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. There's three things you can do to help us out. First one is you can go over and subscribe and like and make sure you leave a review. We love those reviews. They're really important on iTunes or wherever you listen to these podcasts. Also, you can go down and click down below in our Amazon link. It's www.teachubes.com backslash Amazon. That way, anytime you're shopping, if you have it bookmarked, we get a small little commission and it helps us keep the lights on here, um, basically the hosting fees. You can also go over and check out teachubes.com for coaches who want to get better. Um, great resources. You can also go over to our YouTube channel, just type in teachubes, two different words, and you'll find thousands and thousands of videos. Um, so that's one way for us to, to be able to help you moving forward. All right, enjoy the podcast every four years like we go on an international trip to go play basketball and give back to a community there i mean that's stuff that you see on d1's twitters all the time but we're doing it at the d3 level because it's important to coach simon um to give them do you think do you think um do you think it's easier for girls at the or women at this point than guys to get in no, no, not get, not getting in. I think it's actually harder for girls to get in because I think they they have they have more of their lives together at that age than boys do in a lot of respects. Um, I no, I'm just talking about. Um, I, I think AAU at the go- girls and boys is different, and there's this whole money food chain that's mm-hmm. much higher up for the boys, um, and I, it just seems like they're chasing the number more than. You know, they want to, you know, the girls go, well, there's WNBA or maybe overseas, but um, it, I, I just, I'm not sure the money or the lures there as much. I don't know. It's just a thought. It's like, is it, yeah. you think it's different? You know, I, I, I thought about that actually, you know, when people ask me the difference between coaching uh, boys and girls, and I, I sort of laughed actually at open house yesterday as a teacher, we have, you know, open house, the parents come and I was talking to a parent and I was like, you know what? I don't know if I'd ever coach boys again, unless it was the right situation. And he's like, why? Because they don't listen. I said, no, because they all think they're going to the league. You know, yes. like at the end of the day, <laughs> if you're the best player on your high school team in a small town, you may or may not get recruited to go somewhere. You may or may not continue your basketball career, but that's going to be the best you, you were. Or you're the best right. in the town. Um, I think on the girls' side, there's a healthy respect for competition. Yep. And I think on the girls' side, there's a healthy respect for the fact that basketball can provide you an opportunity to go get an education. Um, right. because there, the allure of the pro sports league still isn't as strong. Right. It's getting much stronger. I mean, the WNBA a phenomenal product it is uh, i mean watching the playoffs has just been incredible right. and it's, and it's different than it was 10 years ago i did sure. i definitely disagree sure. I, I i mean i definitely agree that that's different yeah. i'm just saying i don't 
I don't know. And, and the thing is, you're right. I, academically, the D2 schools are not the, the good D3 schools. You know, the ones I was mentioning, the ones your league. I mean, I can name four or five leagues that the schools are like, oh, my God. Right. Like, there's no right. D2 schools in that academic league, in those academic leagues. They're just not. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, yeah. I, don't, I find it very intriguing. I think, that, I think that pool is much smaller. Like, you can tell yeah. a kid, you, you can't get in. Like, we don't right. even talk anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, as far as, as far as, you know, getting admitted to the school, as far as being qualified, both basketball wise and academically, the pool shrinks because again, if they're qualified basketball wise to play in such a high level league, right. They may not come to that league. They may get a scholarship from somebody and that's a reality we face constantly, you know, right. but that's, that's part and parcel of being at this level. And it's honestly like, it's more of the, the challenge and the chess game um, right. of recruiting this level. So what would you tell your what would you tell yourself like ten years ago? What would you tell a younger coach that's listening? What would I tell you know what? You know, don't listen to what other coaches say about the players you have. Um, and I kind of take that advice when I'm as a teacher too. Like, don't sit in the teachers' lounge and listen to what other teachers who've had the same kids say about them. Um, you know, cause I, I've had kids that came with a reputation or I've had kids that came with, you know, this kid can't do X, Y, Z, or they have to do X, Y, Z. And like every kid's relationship with you is different. And ultimately just teach them the best way you know how, and constantly, constantly, constantly learn about people and then learn about basketball and you're going to be all right. Right. Yeah. I tell people you got to get rid of the noise. There's lots of noise. There's a ton of noise, ton of noise. You got to get rid of it. You got to get rid of it. And it's like, you know, you got to kind of narrow down what you want to be and how you want to run things. And um, so tell me what, so, so so let's say you got offered a job tomorrow at a Mm -hmm. D3 school to be a head coach. What would your philosophy be? What would you say to me as a recruit? As a recruit? Well, you're going to play for one of the loosest programs in the country. You know, I know we just talked a lot about attention to detail and discipline and all of that is going to be there. But my entire coaching philosophy centers around you as a person. Um, you know, I'm a lead them up regional coach up here in New England, and I believe in, in leadership and character development more so than I do even basketball development. I think we learn through the game, not to the game. So if you're a kid that loves just taking a multiple choice test, this is not the place for you. We're going to be pushing you to be your best. And we do use a games approach here. So everything we do, you're going to have context to to it. And that's how adults learn. And that's honestly how kids learn. But we've dumbed it down a lot. Right. Uh, You know, I, I often tell kids and I often tell other coaches, like, we don't give our kids enough credit for how smart they are. And we don't give, give kids enough credit for how resilient they are. We always think that they need to, to learn that more through like some sort of coddling or something. We can push kids a lot harder than we do. And, and I've seen it firsthand. Um, and that's what would happen at, at this school. And, and we need somebody like you to do that. I love that. Um, how do you practice plan? You kind of, you're kind of talking about that there a little bit, but. Yeah. So I practice plan and I, you know, I'll send you a PDF to put in the show notes, but my practice plans are really, really detailed. Um, We're down to the minute on my practice plans and I like to build from one-on-one to five-on-five in every practice. Amen. So So do I. uh, You know, whatever the skill is, I want to make sure I can find it on film. And if I can't find it on film, I want to know whether that's intentional or whether it's just not happening. 
And so I'll give you an example. Like one of the big things that I noticed on film last year when I was the head coach at South County High School in Lorton, Virginia, um, you know, we finished through the elbow a lot. So we'd have an elbow catch or drive it or catch it in transition. And we constantly were in the situation of defenders on the hip, we're at the elbow, what are we doing? And so we built that into our practices, just, you know, we called it elbow finishes. And that was a competitive thing from the jump. You know, the other part of practice planning for me is we used a competitive cauldron model. Every practice, every kid got a win or a loss for everything we did or I'd say like 90% of what we did, even in like free throws. Um, we turned every free throw uh, segment of practice into a game. You know, and we had a rotation of like five or six games that we used throughout practice to keep them engaged, to keep them motivated, and to keep them going. Um, and so we ended up using our competitive cauldron results as who would start on Friday night. So if you won practice Wednesday and Thursday, the top five kids who won practice Wednesday and Thursday got to start on Friday night. I don't care. I mean, if you're bringing right. it in practice, you should get to play. You right. should be the one that gets your name called in front of your parents, in front of your friends, because oftentimes it's the same five kids all season and nobody knows who the other kids are, you know, until it's senior night and you got seniors that have never played and they get introduced. Right. Uh, but, you know, so, so it's down to the minute. Everything is, is as games based as possible. And I actually think it's harder to coach that way because you're constantly evaluating your constraints. You're constantly evaluating what's important to you. And as an economics teacher, like I want to make sure that we're spending our resource, which is time the right way. Right. And what's our opportunity cost if we decide not to do something or we do decide to do something. Um, so, you know, we would build one-on-one -on -one to five-on-five, -five, a lot of situational stuff, a lot of, you know, Chris Oliver's stuff has been amazing to learn from. Um, with the, you know, the, the two on one shooting, three on two shooting, four on three shooting. I mean, we even made our warm up a games based warm up. And so for 20 minutes, we're essentially like condensing practice right. 20 minutes before a game. And, and, you know, all well, I, 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 I just got back from a clinic and I talk about how I set up my entire practice is basically like a game. It's like, yeah. there's a pregame, there's a warm up. I mean, it's literally like, and there's timeouts and there's like mm -hmm. literally everything is broken down into that. Um, but I have found, and I love Chris. I think a lot, I, I, I agree with a lot of it. There's some things that I still need to literally, like as a math teacher, I need to teach them some skill sets. <laughs> um, you know, especially with our guys, some of its footwork stuff. I mean, I literally have to break it down to pieces. Um, and I would love to do it more in a game thing. Um, but there's some stuff that is just like, they just don't have that skill set. They literally can't like, I'm trying to teach them to do algebra and they can't add yet. Um, so I have to teach them how to add before they can do the algebra. Um, so yes, I agree with that. I, I think it's easier, the, the better the players you have, I think the easier it is in some respects. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. And that's just me that my, I, maybe I'm just an old dog, but well, no, no, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, my first year when I was my first head coaching job, I got it at 27 years old right. and I was doing what everybody else did. I mean, right. we were doing drills, like we were running the yep. read and react and I was literally doing what Rick, Rick was said. doing yeah. on the videos. Yeah. Um, and then as we developed and as we got further into it, so by year three, we were almost, I would say 80% right. games based. So right. yeah, absolutely. You have to build it up. Right. Um, but I think like to me, my 
philosophy is that shooting is the only skill that needs its own time. And that's a, a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Right. Um, you know, instead, we, we used to run a lot of passing drills, but in the game, we still couldn't pass the ball. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's just, it wasn't something we were good at. So I started just playing keep away at the beginning of practice and we would just move the, move the line every, every practice. So here's a new constraint, figure it out. Um, so where last year we didn't even put in a press break. I mean, think about how much time you spend on a press break in practice. And then as soon as one thing goes wrong, the whole right. thing breaks down. And very breaks. little. I mean, my, and, and basically my practices have morphed over time because I learned, it was like, I was pivoting. Right. I was learning as I, I mean, right. to, to what Chris is basically doing kind of, but you're right. It's like, if, a, if, if we've been running something and then they're good at it, it's like, I don't, I don't need to teach that, that, that skill. Shooting's a lost skill to, in my opinion. Absolutely. Lost Absolutely. Lost Without skill. a doubt. Um, you know, and, and I like, I like to break down shooting, but to the release, I don't, I don't right. really care what any of the rest of your body does. No. Um, you know, I've had kids that turn sideways to shoot it. Don't yeah. care. as long as it's a lock snap drive release. Yep. Good. Yep. So, you know, we've yep. got a whole it's, 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 it's release, it's follow through and it's repetition. Mm -hmm. I'm telling yeah. you, I mean, Absolutely. that's the reason my kid, my, my, my kid's getting recruited because he can, he can light it up, mm -hmm. but because he has, we, you know, and we spent, he didn't play AU for two years. We broke it down. We spent the time. He put the time in. I mean, there was a lot of frustration in that breakdown. And it's like, it was too slow and it needed to get faster and all these things. Um, and it's doable, but it's like, it's one of those things that it takes, it, you, you got to put in the time. It's like lifting weights. You got to put mm -hmm. the time in. You can't for shake sure. it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. You can't, nobody ever woke up a good shooter and, right. and something that, you know, it's funny the, the boys basketball team at my former former school they used to they used to be joke like you know stogie's the best shooter in the school and i was like yeah i probably am you right. know not not to be i mean you guys shoot every single day but i bet you if we had a competition at some point i would beat you right not because i'm any good but because i've just done it over and over and over and over again because right. i've been teaching kids to do it for the last 15 years yeah and the, and the thing is i i mean i can count the number of games of horse i've lost to be honest with you the only way they beat me is they get deep enough that i can't get into there anymore <laughs> um you gotta hit know. the weight room coach i know it's 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 part of its age i can get in their heads too that's part of it i think that's right <laughs> um let's uh, coaching failure. I always like to talk about something that didn't go well, that someone else can learn from, you know, cause I'm always a big one on, you know, you got to stumble, before, you got to get a crawl before you can walk kind of thing. Yeah. Is there something that you could share something that happened in your career? Yeah. That's like every day. Um, <laughs> no, I Feels mean, like it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think early in my career, I was like hell bent on winning and I just didn't do it you know, like, so it eats you up inside. And that was before I learned that that's really not like what's important. Um, like there's a place to where winning, obviously like you play to win the game, but, but in the terms of like equity and playing time, you know? So I remember being in, in Oklahoma, like I'm a transplant. I'm not from there. Right. I'm coaching freshman boys basketball. And like, I got 17 kids on my team and I'm playing like, you know, at most seven or eight kids. Right. So like the experience for those other kids, I feel horrible about it because you got half your team that's still that's suiting up. They want to play for their school. It's their first year of high school and they're not playing. Right. Um, you know, and it's not, I mean, at that level, like who cares? It's freshman basketball. Right. 
we're right. all going to go out and make mistakes. But as a young coach, like I just, I did what I, I saw on TV basically, you know, right. or like did what our varsity head coach was doing. And he was, he had 17 guys on his team and he only played eight. So I was like, Oh, I guess that's what you do. Right. I didn't know better until I learned better. Um, you know, and then last year as, as a varsity head coach, like the one piece of feedback that my new AD gave me, he was like, look, man, I thought you did a great job. I think sometimes maybe you were too equitable with playing time though. Like right. some situations <laughs> on the varsity level, like you were playing kids that I didn't know if they should have been out there, but I'm not going to get on you about it because it's not my place. Like my, my AD Brett Garner was amazing about that type of thing. He knew that he was like, I'm sure there was some strategy behind it. I right. get it. But like from the outside looking in, maybe you were too equitable with it, but I was burned so bad as a young coach where I was like, I was just reflecting on that one day. And I was like, man, that was the biggest failure I, I could have ever thought of to have as a coach. Like I've blundered timeouts. I've blundered end of game situations. Right, we've all done that. Yeah. Failure as a coach was like that those kids experience was terrible. And I, I just, I, I feel like I, I tell people you don't want to be their last coach. Yeah. Now, now I am sometimes because I'm a varsity boys coach. I am going to be their last coach. I get that. But especially in the youth or the young, younger ages or ninth grade, you don't want to be their last coach because that means they don't want to do it anymore. Like, right. Their last coach by their choice. By their choice. Yeah. Last coach by their choice. And, and, you know, kids, there's always attrition and stuff, but I don't want to be the root cause of that. And I think that, like, there's a difference between, doing that at the freshman level and then at the varsity level where kids self-select not to come out because they know they're not going to play a lot. I'm telling you, I've noticed that over the last 10 or 15 yeah. years, that's happened even more now than it did 20 years ago. That yeah. I, I just know I'm not as good as John. I'm not coming out. Like I'm just, right. I'm not going to get cut. I'm just, you know, and 20 years ago they would have tried thinking that maybe they could make it and somehow, but no, I think, and that's a great life skill. Like, okay, I can't. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. If you did, go over and leave a five-star review. If you didn't like it, don't do anything. <laughs> um, also, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. Um, become a better coach. Put your Take yourself outside of that comfort zone. Join our community. Let myself and our entire community help you through this great journey. doesn't matter if it's parents. doesn't matter if it's a kid not playing hard. It doesn't matter if you don't know how to break the one three one zone. We will help you. So go over and check it out. Have a great day. Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.